you are about to hear is true. Attention, all true. In the 1980s, three friends received bikes for Christmas. They rode those bikes and tried to find mysteries in their neighborhood. They could not find any, so they pretended to find them anyway. If you had a problem and nothing better to do, maybe you could have hired the bike team. I think that sounded about right. In the mid-1980s, during the run of the A-Team, two of my best friends in the neighborhood and myself received bikes for Christmas. I know mine was a Team Murray, but I think my one friend got a red line, and the other might have had a Mongoose. Very popular bikes in my area. I loved my Team Murray, but I coveted the red line. We got those bikes and rode everywhere. Even that cold winter, nothing could keep us off those bikes. Lucky it didn't snow much that year. Now, of course, our favorite show at the time was the A-Team. After a broadcast, we would meet the next morning on the way to school, and we would talk about the A-Team. Of course, this eventually led us to start playing like we were part of the A-Team. As mentioned in the intro, we would ride our bikes around the neighborhood, trying to find crimes that we could solve or wrongs that we could right. This, of course, never worked out. I think one time we saw a poster for a lost cat, and we must have spent three or four days looking for this cat to no avail. We found dozens of other cats that didn't match the description, but never that lost cat would have been the greatest case for the bike team. Since we couldn't find real mysteries, we started, of course, making up our own and just playing A-Team. Now, I was always a bit slow on the draw when choosing characters to play. If I had to choose someone from the A-Team to be, it would probably be Hannibal, because he's the leader, and that's kind of fun to be the leader. My second choice nowadays would be Mr. T. I could never do a good Mr. T as a kid, but sadly, I was always Mr. T. So you can picture me as a scrawny little New Jersey kid driving around on my bike, hopping off occasionally to fight drug lords and assorted baddies saying things like, I pity the fool, but in a much higher register, something like, I pity the fool. Needless to say, my family thought this was hilarious and made fun of me on many, many occasions. In the long run, it didn't matter how embarrassed I got because the joy of playing A-Team and being Mr. T, or at least the fantasy of Mr. T, overcame any sort of embarrassing feelings I might have had. And I could get over my friend's little jibes, but what I couldn't get over was the mohawk they would constantly try to give me. Oh, they tried, but they never could catch me. Little T's too fast for them. On today's show, we talk about the A-Team. We're going to talk about the inception of the show, its creation. We're going to talk about its five-year run, its successes, its missteps, and we have Metagirl with a list. We have a really big show today. So without further ado, let's start the show.
the A-Team sprang from the creative mind of NBC executive and network savior Brandon Tartikoff. Brandon Tartikoff was a legend in the mid and early 80s. He came onto NBC and embraced a whole new slew of shows, basically elevating the network and saving it. One of the earliest shows to help the network was The A-Team. When he came up with the basic idea for The A-Team, he approached Frank Lupo and Stephen J. Canal, who had worked together on shows like Wise Guy, Riptide, and Hunter. Now, when Tartikoff brought the idea to Stephen J. Canal, he said he wanted something that was a cross between The Dirty Dozen, Mission Impossible, The Seven Samurai, Mad Max and Hill Street Blues. And get this, with Mr. T driving the car. That's right, Mr. T was actually part of the original concept for the A-Team. He wasn't cast later. It wasn't a, oh, you know who'd be really cool to have in the show? Mr. T. They actually had Mr. T right from the get-go. So Canal and Lupo took the idea and played around with it for a while and came up with the show about Vietnam veterans who were wrongly accused of a crime they didn't commit and because of that, now survive as soldiers of fortune here in America. And they don't just take any job. They only take jobs that are helpful to people. So in a lot of ways, it's like a for-pay Incredible Hulk or The Fugitive. There seems to be a lot of confusion as to what the crime they didn't commit on the show actually was. Here is what happened. During the Vietnam War, their commanding officer, Colonel Morrison, gave them an order to rob the Bank of Hanoi. He ordered them to do this in the hope that it would bankrupt the Viet Cong and end the war earlier. They did it. They succeeded in the mission. But when they returned back to base, they found that their CO had been killed by the Viet Cong and his headquarters had been burned to the ground. Since no proof existed that they were under orders doing this, they were sent to prison by a military court. They were actually sent to Fort Bragg and from Fort Bragg they escaped to start the A-Team. The origin of the name the A-Team is pretty interesting as well and a little bit of a-Team trivia comes from it. The term A-Team is actually the nickname for Operational Detachments Alpha, ODA. The U.S. Army Special Forces used the term ODA for their 12-man direct operations teams. Now, this was never really referenced in the show, but that is how they came up with the term during the show's inception. Now, as I said, the show was always going to feature Mr. T, but it went through a couple of different reworkings before they finally agreed on the format. They cast the show, and before the show went on, show creator Stephen J. Canal actually thought that the show had no chance, that it was sometimes too over the top or too formulaic, and didn't think it would find an audience. Lucky for us, he was wrong. The show premiered on January 30th, 1983, right after Super Bowl 17, where the Redskins defeated the Dolphins. The broadcasting of the A-Team right after the Super Bowl set a precedent that is followed today of networks who are hosting the Super Bowl airing regular network programming after the bowl. And it reached 26.4% of the television watching audience at the time and placed fourth in the top 10 rated shows. It was a huge hit and would be for much of its run. Now, a big element of that success was not just the action and plots, which could get formulaic at times, but any shortcomings that might come from a formulaic plot were overcome by an incredible cast. First and foremost, and the one everyone has a tendency to remember, was Mr. T. Mr. T played Sergeant Bosco Albert 
B.A. or Bad Attitude Baracus. B.A. is a different type of character on the show, while the other characters in the show will often use subterfuge to get to their desired goal. B.A. stands out and is much more forthright in his approach to everything. This, of course, puts him on the sidelines sometimes in the mission, but when it comes down to hand-to-hand combat or needing to build some sort of mechanical device, that's where B.A. steps in. A running gag on the show is that B.A. hates to fly and is a teetotaler. This, of course leads to constant drugging so that they could put him on a plane, often in his favorite beverage, milk. Now, I have always thought that there was a certain infantilization of Mr. T in that whole milk thing, and he was also kind of a mama's boy on the show. In fact, you find out later that his childhood nickname was Scooter, and, of course, the gang has a great time with that. There is definitely a love-hate relationship between him and another character, Howling Mad Murdoch, and in one of my favorite episodes you find out that B.A. and Murdoch share the same blood type, and Murdoch gives B.A. a blood transfusion. B.A., of course, is not pleased because he doesn't want that crazy man's blood flowing through his veins. This is pretty cool. I found out that in other countries, B.A. is not always known as B.A. Instead, they have other names with mixed meanings, some of them which are similar to bad attitude, but others are just bizarre or funny. In Latin American-speaking Spanish countries, he is known as Mario Baracus, while in Italy, his moniker is P.E., or Pessimo Elemento, which roughly means bad guy. In France, he is referred to as Barracuda, and I can only guess he is referred to as Barracuda because Barracudas have bad attitudes. In Ireland, he is known as Bean Nolan. I'm not a Gaelic speaker, so I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that roughly translates as the messy one, which makes absolutely no sense. It's really fun to look these up, even if you can't pronounce them in the country's original language. They're all pretty funny. For example, in Taiwan, he's basically known as Wacky Head, which I guess has to do with his signature mohawk, which was never considered a Native American symbol by the man who styled that haircut, Mr. T. The story goes that while reading National Geographic, Mr. T first noticed the hairstyle on a Mandinka warrior, and he thought the adoption of the haircut would be a powerful statement about his African origin. And he has had that hairstyle on all the roles he's played in movies and TV since. It's as an important signature to his style as his heavy use of gold chains and tough talk and attitude. The next most famous role on the show would probably be that of Colonel John Hannibal Smith, who was ably played by the well-known actor George Pappard. Hannibal was the leader of the A-Team and had served actually not only in Vietnam, but in Korea as well. Now, he's known for his unorthodox style of leadership, which is why he got the nickname Hannibal. And in the show, there was a bit of a running gag that he would get a look on his face and they would say that he was on the jazz, which I've never really understood, but I kind of like the term. But just try using it in a business meeting and see all the blank stares you get. Hannibal was also a master of disguise and in his downtime would take roles as movie movie monsters in low-budget films. I guess if he was not a military genius, he would have been a Hollywood actor, which I'm sure is the dream of all famous military men. It is a little-known fact that the man behind the mask in The Creature from the Black Lagoon was Dwight Eisenhower. Hannibal can often be found chomping a cigar, wearing black gloves, and uttering his famous catchphrase, 
I love it when a plan comes together. Now that's a line that gets big laughs during a business meeting. The role of Hannibal Smith actually wasn't written for George Pappard at all. George Pappard had been working on Dynasty when the A-Team was coming about, and he was playing the role that John Forsythe would come to take. Now he was not happy with the direction that Dynasty was going in. He thought it was too similar to Dallas and complained loudly about it. Because of that, he was fired before the first show was aired. Luckily, the person who Hannibal was written for, James Coburn, turned down the part, and George Pappard was brought over and took the role. Next on the A-Team roster is Lieutenant Templeton Faceman Peck, or Face to his friends. Faceman was played by two characters. In the pilot, he was played by Tim Dunnigan. Dunnigan was supposedly not the first choice to play the role. The creators of the show had wanted Benedict to play the role, but the network execs really liked Tim Dunnigan. Once they had filmed the pilot, it became very obvious that Dunnigan looked way too young to have served in the Vietnam War. And according to Dunnigan, I look even younger on camera than I am, so it was difficult to accept me as a veteran of the Vietnam War, which ended when I was a sophomore in high school. So Dunnigan was out, and Benedict was in. Benedict, up to that point, was probably most famous for his role as Starbuck on the original Battlestar Galactica. And when we have a Battlestar Galactica podcast, we're going to have to talk a lot about his attitude toward the new Battlestar Galactica. It's very interesting. Faceman is the ladies' man on the show. And in almost every other episode, there is some woman that Face gets to seduce, or at least get his hooks into, in some form or another. A running joke about Face is that he's a lover, not a fighter, and whenever the team is forced to get into hand-to-hand combat, he is always complaining nonstop. In Season 4, we actually find out that Templeton Peck is not his real name, or at least not the name he was born with. Face learns that his father was a man named A.J. Bancroft, and that his birth name was Richard Bancroft, which is a little bit of interesting A-Team trivia for you. The last, but certainly not the least character of the A-Team, is Captain H.M. Howling Mad Murdoch. Murdoch was played by Dwight Schultz. Dwight Schultz might also be known to many of you because he played Barkley in Star Trek The Next Generation. Murdoch was considered the best pilot in the Vietnam War, but was declared officially mentally unstable. He was the pilot during their robbery of the Hanoi Bank, but unlike the other characters in the show, was actually never tried for that crime. He was not part of the original tried and convicted trio. He was put into a psychiatric hospital, where he is regularly broken out by face, usually, to help on missions. Now, we're never really sure what ailment Murdoch suffers from, but from show to show, he'll become fixated on a particular thing, usually for comic relief, so it's hard to get to the bottom of it. I think the only thing we can be sure, especially if we listen to Dr. B.A. Baracus, the one thing that Murdoch suffers from is crazy foolery. Murdoch is generally considered to have been cured by season five because he drops the obsession with one particular thing each episode and instead starts taking various jobs to fill the time. It was really an attempt to change the formula of the show to try to save it from its lagging ratings. In a world full of bored geeks, a game would rise, and one podcast would discuss it in excruciating detail. The Retroist presents the Dungeons and Dragons podcast, coming soon to a computer near you. (laughs) 
I am looking forward to that. Okay, so they had the core four throughout the series, but that didn't mean that the A-Team worked alone. Throughout the five seasons of the show, there were side characters who assisted the A-Team. During the first season and the first half of the second season, the team was assisted by reporter Amy Amanda Allen, who was played by Mindy Kulia. Melinda wanted her character to be more involved with the show, to be an equal member of the A-Team, to actually participate in the fight sequences, all that fun stuff. George Papard didn't like the idea of having a female character on the show. He didn't believe it fit in with the A-Team Seven Samurais feel and pushed for her to have a more marginalized role. According to sources, Melinda pushed harder and the producers of the show balked and released her from her contract. She was replaced by another reporter, Tanya Baker, who was played by Marla Heasley for the rest of the second season. At the end of season four, Tia Carrera of Wayne's World fame appeared as a Vietnamese war orphan who was now living in the United States. They were going to bring her back to be a part of the fifth season and hopefully pull back to some of the origin stories in Vietnam, all that great stuff. But Tia Carrera was part of the cast of General Hospital at the time and couldn't get out of that contract. So they got rid of her character and replaced her with Frankie Santana, who was played by Eddie Velez. Frankie acted as the team's special effects expert because, of course, no mercenary corps should ever be without its special effects expert. By the second episode of the fifth season, Eddie was officially added to the credit sequence of the TV show, thus making him the official fifth A-Team member. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl with the top five greatest A-Team guest stars of all time. At number five is Boy George, who played himself in the surreal episode Cowboy George. Bone up on your alphabet frequency tables, because at number four, we have Pat Sajak and Vanna White playing themselves on the episode Wheel of Fortune. At number three is Hulk Hogan, who played himself in two episodes, The Trouble with Harry and the aptly named Body Slam. Number two is William the Refrigerator Perry, who joined Hulk in The Trouble with Harry. And the number one A-Team guest star of all time is... Super Freak Rick James, who played himself in the episode The Heart of Rock and Roll. And there you have it, the Retroist Top 5 A-Team guest stars of all time. Until next time, list fans, this has been Metagirl. Because the A-Team were fugitives, they were constantly hunted by military antagonists. In the first season, they were hunted by Colonel Lynch, who was played by William Lucking. In the second and third season, and part of the fourth season, he was replaced by the, I think, more famous Colonel Decker and his aide, Captain Crane. Decker was played by Lance Legault, and Crane was played by Carl Franklin. In the third season, William Lucking returned as Colonel Lynch for one episode, but never returned again. For one episode in the third season, Charles Napier played Colonel Briggs, and and he was just brought in as a substitute leader because Lance DeGault was unavailable for one episode. In the fourth season, they brought in General Harlan Bull Fulbright, who was played by Jack Ging. He would be the one who would hire the A-Team to find Tia Carrera in the season four finale. And in that episode, his character was killed off. In the fifth season of the show, which took a dramatic turn, the team's primary antagonist would be General Hunt Stockwell, who was played by the very famous Robert Vaughn. Vaughn wouldn't just act as their antagonist, he would actually go on missions, which is a good segue to discuss the story arc of the show. From the first through fourth season, the A-Team were trying to help people. They would move from place to place. 
dodging the military and making a living by doing good deeds. But since the show was starting to go downhill in the fourth season, they decided to retool it and have them work for the military. So in the fifth season, they would do these suicide missions, basically, a Mission Impossible style for General Hunt Stockwell. The big difference between that and earlier seasons is that these episodes often took place in foreign countries and there were many more guest appearances by celebrities. That had actually started in the fourth season and stayed strong right up until the end of the show. The A-Team was a ratings darling when it premiered on NBC and managed to stay in the ratings top 10 for three seasons before falling hard in the fourth and fifth season. In season one, the 1982-1983 season, it was ranked number 10 overall for television shows. In season 2, it was number 4. In season 3, it was number 6, a little slip. Then in season 4, it plummeted to number 30. That's when they retooled it and brought it back, and it could never recover. It topped out at number 53 for its fifth and final season that ran from 1986 to 1987. The thing about the A-Team, and why it's still well-remembered, although it only made five seasons, is that it did really well in syndication, not just here in America, but worldwide. They say that in Britain, the show has been running non-stop, in one form or another, on some TV channel since its 1983 debut. The show was also nominated for three Emmy Awards. In 1983, it was nominated for Outstanding Film Sound Mixing for a Series for the pilot episode. In 1984, it got another Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Series nomination for the episode When You Coming Back, Range Rider. And in 1987, received a final Outstanding Sound Editing for a Series for the episode Firing Line. The reach of the show beyond America's shores was phenomenal in the early part of the show. Cast members were invited to the Netherlands, and originally George Papard thought he was the only one invited and took an invitation there. When he found out the whole cast had been invited, he turned it down, but the rest of the cast went over there, and they were just mobbed, so much so that they had to retreat away from all the fans. Their success, of course, led to some great toy tie-ins, which our new podcast member, Killscreen256, is going to tell you a little about. Hey there, Retroist listeners, Killscreen256 here, bringing you the toys, merchandise, and rare collectibles for this week, the A-Team. Galoob had three sizes of action figures for you to pick from, a 3-inch, a 6-inch, and a 12-inch Mr. T figure. Now, the 3-inch and the 6-inch both had the Soldiers of Fortune, which was B.A., Face, Hannibal, and Murdoch. Also had the Bad Guys, which was Cobra, Python, Rattler, and Viper. Yeah, I'm sensing a theme with the Bad Guys, too. The Soldier of Fortune could be found in either a 4-pack or as each character individually packed while the bad guys were only sold individually. The 6-inch line had one difference than the 3-inch line, and that was you got an Amy Allen figure with the 6-inch line. So, if you wanted to have that true-to-show theme, you had to buy the 6-inch figures. For the collectors out there, keep this in mind when you're searching for the bad guys. You're going to pay more. Even though they came out at the exact same time as the A-Team, they're harder to find. Also, they came in two different waves. The first wave, bad guys had dark colors and had different weapons than what the second wave had. And the second wave had much brighter colors. Interesting note about these action figures. The bodies of the bad guys in the A-Team were actually rehashed bodies from a previous toy line that had come out a year before called Gen Patches and Evil Army. Now to go along with these action figures, you gotta have play sets, and there were plenty of them to choose from. You had the A-Team van that came with a BA figure, a patrol boat that came with Hannibal, the Corvette for Faceman, and what was probably an odd packaging in my opinion, you got a fighter jet with Murdoch. 
Now, they did make a helicopter that had no figure, but Murdoch should have been with the helicopter, not the fighter jet. Just my personal opinion. And also, there was an A-Team-themed armored car. I'm not really sure what that was all about, but you did get another BA figure with it. Also, there was a headquarters action set that had everything from tents to flags to weapons to a floating boat to sandbags. It also included all four of the 3-inch figures along with a 19 by 12 inch color playmat. Another company that got into the A-Team items was Ertl that made an A-Team van and a helicopter that were both scaled down to the 3-inch line, so it gave you some more toys to choose from. For comic book fans out there, Marvel ran a three-issue series in 1984. I had these books, the stories were okay at best, but the coolest part about it was is you had something that was A-Team themed that you could add to your collection. For the board game collectors out there, Parker Brothers made an A-Team board game where the team needs to get back the secret format for a very popular soft drink. There was also an A-Team card game that was released right around the same time. For TV show prop collectors, you can actually get Mr. T's Ammunition Vest and Murdoch's Compass Watch. The vest will run you about $600, the watch about $300, but both these items do come with a certificate of authenticity. Now if you're looking for a more unique item to have in your collection that many people in the states probably won't have, you need to look at our friends across the pond. The UK has a strong following to the show. Books, toys, other various items tied into the A-Team. Look for a UK magazine called Look In. It ran during the 70s and 80s and it had A-Team comic strips, interviews, and it's a real hard to find item. Another really hard item to find over there in the UK was an A-Team blanket that was shown on the BBC show Mr. Bean. It was an episode number five, Trouble with Mr. Bean. It's in the opening scene of the show, you can't miss it. It looks awesome, I want it myself. So that's your toys, collectibles, and rare items for this week, retro listeners. This is Killscreen256 telling you to get out there and get collecting. So what can we count on for A-Team fandom for the future? Well, besides being culturally relevant on t-shirts and in all sorts of internet sites, you could see the A-Team on TV, on shows like Family Guy and The Simpsons, referencing them all the time. Of course, the thing that everybody's waiting for is the motion picture based on the A-Team. This has been in the works, it seems, for many years. Stephen J. Canal is involved to make this happen, along with Ridley and Tony Scott, who are set to produce. As of January 28, 2009, director Joe Carnahan was attached to direct the movie. Carnahan's done some pretty high-octane movies, so it could be a pretty energetic film. The A-Team film is set to be released on June 11, 2010, which is not too far away, and I'm guessing that that's going to be bumped. They've moved the film's origins from a Vietnam set film to one that was about Middle East veterans coming home and falling into the same situation that the original A-Team did. Supposedly, Liam Neeson was in negotiations to play Hannibal Smith and Bradley Cooper, who was most recently in The Hangover, has said that he will play Templeton Peck. No further word on who will play Murdoch and B.A. yet, but when John Singleton was attached to the movie, he was hoping to get Woody Harrelson to take the role of Murdoch and Ice Cube or Quentin Jackson for the role of B.A. I hope this is one of those movies they take seriously, because The A-Team was a show that I loved a lot, and I would love to see the franchise revived in the way that they revived the Star Trek franchise. I would like to see a trilogy of movies produced about this famous quartet, when it does, I will be first online. Heck, maybe I'll even get the old bike team together and we can see it together. I pity the fool who don't see this movie.
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash retroist. Thanks to Metagirl for a top five list. If you have an idea for a top five list, email it to Metagirl at metagirl at retroist.com. Thanks to newest cast member, Killscreen256, for his great contribution. If you have an idea for Killscreen or just want to send him some praise, email him at killscreen256 at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. I pity the fool who don't drink his milk. This has been a retroist production. Goodbye.